The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Welcome to Scrambled. This is Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode 30, Getting Kids to Talk. And we have a special guest we're going to introduce here in just a bit. But, you know, Nikki, we, we talk until we're blue and all kinds of other colors in the face uh, for people to rate and review our podcast. And we have a new review, so I would like to read that. This comes to us from uh, the handle Busy Mom of Too Many Kids. And uh, she gives us five stars on Apple Podcasts and says, deserves 10 stars. And it says, quote, I have two favorite podcasts, Smartless and Scrambled. I have three kids ranging in age from three to 10. My oldest was eight before we learned that so many of his struggles were rooted in anxiety. I've scoured the internet for podcasts that are informative and helpful. And this is the first one I found that has information and ideas that I can realistically use and apply. It's so relatable and they keep things entertaining. Any parent would be well served to listen to the show, regardless of the status of anxiety in their home. End quote. So thank you so much, busy mom of too many kids. And I, it sounds like you're busy and you took time out to review our podcast. So we appreciate that. And uh, Smartless is one of our favorites as well. So it's, it's boy, talk about good company to keep there. That's right. That's right. That was amazing. So Nikki, this is a really, I think, pivotal episode. This is episode 30. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we're coming up on, we just celebrated a year on September 1st of launching the podcast. And we just did a back to school series. And I think this episode is a very pivotal one. So it's not labeled back to school, but gosh darn it, you could use what you're going to hear in this episode with your kids going back to school and learning more about the day. So let's get on into it. So as Chad said, we have a special guest with us for this episode. And so I would like to introduce to you Dr. Rebecca Rowland. Dr. Rowland is a speech pathologist, writer, and Harvard lecturer. She recently published The Art of Talking with Children, a book about how to use conversation to help kids develop kindness creativity, and confidence. And she's here today to talk with us about getting kids to talk. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your time. And I'm, I'm so anxious to talk to you because uh, I, I have two kiddos of my own, um, 11, uh, well, 12 now and nine. And I try to teach just be kind because it costs you nothing to be kind. And just before school started a couple weeks ago, we did the toothpaste thing where I had each kid squeeze out some toothpaste on a plate. And then I said, all right, guys, put the toothpaste back in the tube. And of course they couldn't, they got some in, they think. And I was like, these are like your words. Once you spew them out, you can't take them back. So oh, use your words like yeah. <laughs> for kindness. So I'm, I'm glad to, to, to get to know you and, and to talk to you about kindness. So give us a little bit of background about who you are and how you came up with the book. As you mentioned, I'm a speech language pathologist. So I've worked clinically with children all the way from toddler age through young adults. And I now teach graduate students at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I also teach on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. So I really have become interested in um, the way language and communication works in our lives. And that's really all the way from how it works with young children up until how actually college students are using self-talk to think about you know, how their own perceptions of themselves and of others, um, their self-esteem and so on. So I've been really fascinated by all of these questions and as a mom of two myself, I also saw a lot of these things happening in my own home. 
So that's kind of what led me to writing this book. And I have to tell you, I've, I've been fangirling, you know, ever since I found your book. I, I read it right away. It's such a good book. It's so well written and just really usable ideas. And I, I used one of them last night, even um, the kids got home from the first day of school. And I was like, you know, tell me about a mistake you made today. Let's let's talk about it. And it was so cool. And like her first, you know, I have a 14 year old. So her first response was like, I don't make mistakes. And I was like, wow. <laughs> of that's course. Really cool. Yeah. I've heard like, that one. Yeah. yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. And yeah. but then by the time the conversation was over, everybody in the room had shared a, mis- a mistake and like what they had learned from it and what they were going to do different. And I'm like, this is so powerful. And so, um, so I can great. say that every idea is usable. So tell us about your approach. What, what do you, what do you teach people when it comes to this? Definitely. Yeah. So that's really my idea. And my focus is actually taking what we know from the research about conversation. So what do we know about the science of developing confidence in conversations? What about kindness? What about creativity? And actually making it actionable. So actually, how do would these conversations look? What actual types of questions, what actual types of comments can support these kinds of conversations to happen? Uh, because what frustrated me as a researcher and as a parent is that there was so much out there that was so abstract of like, oh, it's great. You could develop empathy in children or let's develop their creativity. And but when you get down to it and you say, well, what should I actually do? How can we actually talk about this in a way that will make our lives more fun and also develop these things? And that was a big part of my approach, too. I want things to be actually more fun in the moment as well as building skills over time. So I think these things shouldn't be your broccoli where you're like, you have to eat it, you don't like it, but here are some tough things to talk about. That's not at all my approach. Um, (laughs) I really want it to be like, these are things that actually bring you closer in the moment. You're actually working together, thinking through ideas, thinking through conflicts even. So you're actually learning about each other and over time you're building these skills. So that playfulness and um, authenticity and kind of fun in the moment was a really big part of it as well. The fun part of this episode, uh, Rebecca, is going to be Nikki read the book. I purposely did not because I spent years in journalism and and I didn't want to know what I was getting into. I wanted to ask the questions and learn for myself. So I will get a copy of your book when we're when we're done here. But we wanted to go in kind of contrasting. So Nikki's yeah, used your yes. advice and everything. So I'm just loaded with questions of at what age do you start to talk to children as if they're, I'll, I'll use air quotes, adults? I mean, they're, they're all people. We're all human. But so many times I think parents talk to their kids as kids, but mm-hmm. I have found in my house, if I just talk to them on an adult level, using their words, mm-hmm. it's so much more effective. Definitely. Yes. I've actually found that myself too. And what we know is that kids can understand a lot more than they can speak. Um, so usually their receptive language, which is what we think of as their understanding, is a lot bigger than their expressive language or their ability to speak. And that's kind of a surprising thing that we don't often consider because we hear them talk and we think, okay, we're going to mimic that talk, you know? So they say big truck and we're like, oh, green truck, you know? And we use that kind of language exclusively and it's not bad. So you don't want to just start talking a mile a minute, but we can know that kids learn a ton from when they're hearing kind of that complex language, when they actually hear you put together complicated sentences or just adult-like sentences they're picking up a surprising amount and not just the vocabulary, but the way the sentence works or, you know, when you're pointing to something, they're connecting it with what you're saying. You can talk a lot earlier than we think. Um, Even, you know, to a two-year-old, you can talk about things you're experiencing, especially if you connect it to something they can see. 
I think that's what's also really important. We know that, you know, if you're talking about something very abstract, like your taxes or like, you know, (laughs) war or something like that, if you're not in a war zone, you know, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you are starting with something that you're both experiencing, um, that's a really powerful way to have these conversations. Then how do you get them to talk back? And just before we recorded this episode, we had dinner as a family at the table. We're new into the school year and it's like, how was your day? Fine. Well, tell me something fun you did. I don't know. What'd you have for lunch? <laughs> Sandwich? Who'd you set by? <laughs> yeah. so, so how do you get them to reciprocate and have conversation? Definitely. Yeah. So I, I love that because I've uh, <laughs> I've seen that a lot with so many parents. Um, and I think what's funny about that is that we're coming into those conversations and it's sort of counterintuitive, but we're thinking we're going to have a conversation, but really what those are are just check-ins. And that's mm-hmm. the way kids take them. You know, so it's kind of that check-in moment of like, how's your day? Okay. And you think about it, I've kind of made this analogy of if you go to work, you know, you work at an office and somebody says, how was your weekend? You know, unless like something amazing happened right. or something horrible happened, you just say, oh, fine. You know, what'd you do? Oh, no, you know, nothing much. Went for a walk or went to the beach. Um, and I think that that's the way those kind of standard conversations are heard by kids. They don't actually see them as an opportunity to engage. And so I don't think that, you know, having more of them is usually our response of like, so let's ask another question. Who'd you sit by? Who was your friend there? You know, and we're still not going to get anything and we kind of get more frustrated. So what I like to do is kind of change it up and really think about kind of questions that prompt creativity as well as modeling your own responses. So for example, I like that question of, you know, what mistake did you make today? Because that's, you know, it's not something that kids might maybe expecting. It's something they have to actually think about. And it's something where you give your own response. So sometimes kids are kind of overstimulated, whether it's after a long day, after a dinner time or something, and they might want to just sit back and hear you, you know, share your response first. So actually by doing that, you're kind of taking the pressure off them and you're giving them a chance to hear some language and some thinking on it, some processing time, which can be really helpful. I also do things where, you know, I'll just come up with something I've never asked them before, you know, like, let's, can you describe your day in three words, you know, and I'm going to try it, (laughs) something like that. Or what was the strangest thing that happened to you today? What was the, you know, and actually ask them to come up with an adjective for you. You know, what was the funniest thing that happened? What was the whatever? And by kind of playing around with that and being a little flexible with the questioning, I think the kids do tend to open up a lot more because they see it as more of a fun game. Well, and, and something you said a little while ago reminded me of like, you, you said like expressive language versus receptive language. And I, I was kind of thinking of the parallel with emotion. So children can experience a great range of emotion before they can express or mm-hmm. or like identify and work through emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it's very similar with language. But at the same time that they're experiencing all these intense feelings, they don't really have the skills to process them, express them, talk about them. And so language development kind of mirrors that. And I just thought that was kind of clicked for me as you were talking about it, that like emotion and language have to develop at the same time. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think also what's what's helpful to know about that too is that kids do feel obviously a lot of what we call mixed emotions, you know, so they might feel sad and anxious. So they might feel happy and excited or anxious and happy, you know, kind of like quote unquote good and bad things. And I think we don't always take the time to acknowledge that or talk about that. So a lot of times the language we use around emotions can be kind of simplistic, you know, oh, are you mad? You know, are you, are you sad? Were you happy? Um, so actually talking about the fact that you can feel multiple things, I think does help kind of the same way as we're talking about building language skills. It helps them also better identify their emotions too. So I think it does go both ways for sure. 
What advice do you have for parents then when you sit around the dinner table and we've worked, so we're tired and everything. And you talk about being creative and asking like, what's the strangest thing? Sometimes I'm just, you know, it's almost like you're going through the motions of we need to have this conversation because it's dinner time and we've not allowed uh, devices at the dinner table. So we've got to talk, but you know, sometimes during their answers, I'm like zoning off to la la land. So any advice to parents to, to get them to be engaging with their kids? Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I definitely have that same experience where everyone's kind of zoned out and everyone's just uh, feeling like exhausted. Um, and sometimes some things I've done um, are can be even after dinner, like just playing a simple card game or something like that at the okay. table. So sometimes that can be a way of just saying like, let's just, we don't feel like talking and even acknowledging that. Like I've just like had a really long day. I don't feel like I have a lot more like things to say. I sometimes I actually said that to my kids when I'm really tired. I'm like, I actually don't have like much to say right now. Like, do you have a story you want to tell me about your day? Do you have like something crazy? Like just tell me because I'm, I'm kind of tired right now. I'm not, I'm more of in a listening mode. Wow. And actually, you know, that's something that we don't always think about of saying to, to kids, you know, I'm, I'm more of a listener right now. I don't feel like that much of a talker. Do you want to do you want to tell me about anything? And just that invitation, you can be surprised. But a lot of times kids do have these kind of stories bubbling up. <laughs> you know, they don't actually think to tell you sometimes because there's kind of the rush of the day. So um, I found that to be sometimes helpful in my own life. Actually, Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Like yeah, I'm that. not in a listening mode. Tell yeah, me something. Exactly. Can... Yeah. Okay. But you just take it in. You're like, oh, hmm, you know, that's interesting. And, you know, sometimes it is interesting. So, yeah. And I think, I think it's good to model like that we are all in different modes at different times. And so sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not in the right mode for that. And so like that helps kids to learn that they can communicate that too. And they might be able to say back to you another time, I'm not really in a talking mode right now, mom mm-hmm. or dad. Like I, I feel like listening right now. Do you have any stories exactly. to tell? Which yeah, would be really yeah. fun to see them together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've actually seen that with my daughter. Um, sometimes, you know, she, she's kind of not very talkative, I would say. She's 10, but she's just not super expressive. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, she's kind of quiet and seems like a little down. And I'm like, you know, is, is something wrong? Like, are you okay? You know, she's like, no, I'm just feeling really quiet right now. You know, I'm just not feeling like I'm, I'm fine. I'm just quiet. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and so I think just being able to hear that to be like, oh, okay, you know, checking, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong, but I do think, yeah, modeling that can help with stuff like that. But is there anything you can give there to go, okay, if they are being quiet, do you need to dig a little deeper to see if something, if there is an underlying issue? Yeah. And I do think sometimes um, that that is a big, big if. And I think for me, it does take a lot of that presence. So I think actually noticing um, not just the words, but obviously the tone, body language, you know, if it feels like, are they really relaxing and just letting you know, oh yeah, no, I'm feeling quiet. And it feels like that's, that's the end. That's the surface level. Or is it sort of like a somber, you know, oh, I'm fine. Kind of shut off. And, and for me, actually, um, you know, I do tend to say like, even in that instance, well, that's fine. If I sense like there's really not more that's going to come out. I'm like, but just let, just to let you know, you know, I'm always open here. If there's anything that's going on, you know, just feel free. You can write me a little note. You can leave it for me. Like I'm, I'm here. So if you have anything that's going on, you know, just, it's totally fine to tell me I'm not going to be mad or, you know, something like that. So, and I've actually found that sometimes yeah, saying you could leave me a note, you could do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can put it on the table. You don't even have to be there when I read it you know, um, kind of just to take the pressure off of like, you don't actually have to face me and talk about this right now, if that's not the right time. You're making me feel good about myself because my wife and I have done all the things you said. Oh, wow. <laughs> there you go. We've had notes that's left awesome. for us yeah, and, yeah. and, and uh, had a conversation once um, with both kids of like, you know, you can always come to mom or dad of, of anything you might 
might get in trouble depending on what it is, but you're going to get in far less trouble if you're honest. <laughs> and in that conversation, my son opened up about something he had done at school that day mm-hmm. and it was just oh, completely random. And we had a nice conversation. It's been years ago and just kind of talked it out. He didn't get in trouble. He understood what he did wrong. He learned a lesson and I was like, what? That's I need really a trophy great. for this parent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm rocking it. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then I woke up the next day. I was like, oh, yeah. Then never mind. Parenting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the key is staying humble. But that, that's great. I mean, I think that's that's wonderful. And in that moment, I think he did realize probably the next time something happens, mm-hmm. he can come to you about that too. So I, I do think it adds over time when you make that kind of invitation. Absolutely. So I think it's great. Okay. So I want to flip things around. I want to look at it from the other lens. What are things that parents do sort of unknowingly to shut their kids down? Like what are the things that we unintentionally say or do that make our kids think, no, not talking to them? So I think there are several things I've noticed. And um, and I've done some talking with lots of parents, talking with uh, linguists and everything. And I think there's, there's sort of a few categories. And one would be um, kind of projecting onto our kids. So we want them to feel a certain way. And we tend to kind of push the conversation in that direction. For example, um, saying things like, right, you know, at the end of sentences. So like, oh, that was a great time, right? Or that was a really fun birthday party, wasn't it? You know, and like that was, (laughs) you're really happy now, aren't you? Uh, That kind of thing. So when you're kind of using those little questions at the end, Hmm. it's a really subtle thing. But um, if you, if that's kind of a pattern in your talk, it can be some way where kids feel like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I was, I was really happy or, oh yeah, it was really fun, you know, without actually taking the time to, you know, explore. Well, maybe it wasn't fun for me or maybe, you know, I was actually thinking about something totally different. Um, so that's one, I think is just that sort of projecting. And I think another is this misconception that um, we should not talk about negative things that happened with our kids. Um, So the sense of like, oh, that my child went through something hard or that was a difficult experience. Let's just push through that and hope that they forget about it or hope that that never comes up again. And that kind of comes across in our conversations. You know, if a child says, oh, you know, that time when like, my pet died and like, oh yeah, okay. So, so anyway, and you, you know, you change the subject uh, or whatever. And, um, and a lot of times we do that with the best of intentions. You know, we want our kids to be happy. We want them to not ruminate or not to overly focus on things, but it's really much more helpful if we can actually guide them in processing their emotions around that um, and actually say, well, what did it feel like? How did you cope with that? You know, how could you cope better? Um, all of those questions and that modeling is so key to actually helping kids become resilient and helping them learn from difficult experiences. Um, and actually, there's research showing that that improves their well-being, actually, to be able to talk about these things. So I think that's another thing is if we're not talking about it with the idea of like, let's protect our kids, it's actually far more protective if we do talk about it and guide them. Yeah, that's a that's a hard one. Yeah, not a hard pill to swallow, so to speak, but it's hard to get over of like, because you do want to protect your kids. But I like what you said there is like, you're actually doing more harm and not protecting them by not having those conversations. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I've mentioned this in previous episodes is the the former uh, journalist TV guy, the asking how and why questions get you answers. Mm -hmm. The what's and the the who's get you yeses or no's. Like you said, like that was a fun birthday party, right? You said Mm -hmm. like, how much fun was that? Or or why was that fun? So exactly. Yeah. My piece of advice there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I I think that anytime we can, you know, encourage our children to talk about the hard stuff, like I think we're winning. And so I, I just love that, that we kind of landed there, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and Rebecca in your book, and I don't want to give too much away because I want everybody to run out and buy a copy and read it and just enjoy everything you had to say. But (laughs) 
you talk about rich talk, like you use that term in the book. Would you be able to maybe define what that is for listeners? Give them a hint of, of what that's about? Sure. Yeah. So really rich talk is this framework I've developed for how we could have these kind of conversations. So I wanted to develop a whole sense of, okay, now that we know how important conversations are, what are the actual strategies we can use? What's a framework we can use to make it happen in our daily lives? And I came up with this idea of ABC, so kind of easy to remember. And so the A stands for adaptive, meaning that you're actually going with the flow of your child, whether that's their mood, whether that's their temperament, or even as they change and get older, you're starting to adapt to that. Um, so several parents of teenagers have told me, for example, you know, their teenager doesn't want to talk to them when it's face to face or when they're you know, confronted with something, but they can go for a drive or they can go work out together. They could do something like that. And then the teenager is much more willing or able to talk um, or even after the teenager teaches them something, for example. Now there's sort of a sense of mastery. So the idea is that you're adapting to what the child needs at that time. Um, the B stands for back and forth, just noticing the balance. How, who's talking? You know, is it mostly you talking? Is it mostly your child talking? Can you balance the two? And C is child-driven, meaning just that you're starting with what is on your child's mind. So whether it's something that concerns them, something they're excited about, when you actually start from your child's perspective, you're much more likely to have a conversation that's meaningful to them as well. So that's the overall idea. And then in the book, I lay out all these specific strategies, but, um, but that's the general point. Excellent. Excellent. Well, and I, I can say, as, as I've said, I read it, I loved it. Um, and I think every chapter there was something new for me to try. And I, I, I read a lot. So like, it's, it's, it's not shocking that I would run out and buy a book and read it, but it's not very often that I can find a book on like parenting or, you know, emotional literacy or any of these things and immediately start using it and be like pleasantly surprised with how <laughs> practical this stuff is. And, you know, cause I mean, I'm looking for this stuff all the time and it mm -hmm. I really was impressed. And so, so I'm going to, I'm going to flip it around again. I like to, I, I like sure. to take things in lots of different directions. Let me take a dream. I mean, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. But so you're, you, you know, you have these strategies, you talk about them, you, you probably present them, you, you've written about them. When do you find it hard to use them? Are there times that mm -hmm. in your own parenting that you're like, Ugh, I know that looked really good on paper, but I can't do it right now. <laughs> yes, that's a great question. And I think um, what I have noticed for myself is that oftentimes it really is thinking about that kind of hierarchy of needs. So basically when I or my kids are tired, hungry, lonely, you know, worn out, overstimulated, kind of physically done or sort of overwrought emotionally. Uh, that's when I think it's really hard to have these conversations. And same for my kids. I feel like when my five-year-old is obviously worn out at the end of the day, when he can't put on his pajamas, when he, you know, can, you know, get into the shower without collapsing and pretend exhaustion, you know, uh, I think that, you know, these, it's very difficult um, to have these kind of conversations. And so what I really emphasize is that in those moments, the really important thing is to think about, well, how do you regulate yourself and your child so that you can come back to a more even keel and that you are able to have these conversations? I don't advocate for, you know, trying to have deep conversations while your child is having a tantrum. I think that's <laughs> not possible. <laughs> so that's fair. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I like many other parents have, you know, have seen my share of tantrums. And so I definitely think that the goal is to regulate and to connect and to help with the tantrum and then to do this. So I definitely think that's really key to emphasize. Let me ask this and, and I'll throw it out to both of you, uh, Rebecca and Nikki. Is there a different way to communicate with a child with a mental health condition, whether it be anxiety, ADHD, autism? Is there 
a different way to, to have those conversations. Yes, definitely. I mean, I think um, overall, I think the same framework still holds because um, part of this A, which I love is the adaptive. And so I do think that covers yeah. so much about that. It's just that you do want to be adaptive and aware of that situation and of kind of the way it's evolving um, for your child. So um, I think that just to take special note of how that is impacting them and how they're actually perceiving themselves and how they feel others are perceiving them. I think that that component, those components are really, really important. So things like, you know, what about the diagnosis? Does your child know about the diagnosis? What do they feel about it if they have a diagnosis? Do they feel comfortable with the people they're talking to if they have a therapist or if they have um, a counselor? So being open and really making that a consistent part of your conversations, I think is especially important um, for kids who have any kind of mental health challenges or issues. Um, but I think that adaptive part still holds. Mm -hmm. And I, I 100% agree. And I, I think the only thing that I would add to that is just, you might have to be more creative or mm -hmm. keep trying more or, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of keep at it because it may yeah. just take a little bit longer to find the, the method or the approach or the types yeah. of questions that really connect with your child. And so just, you know, don't give up. Like that's, yeah. that's the big thing is just keep trying until you find what works. Oh, I would actually add, I love that. And I, I would actually add as well, just, I think even more important to have compassion for yourself. Um, because I think sometimes it can feel really hard and can feel like, oh, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. Um, so I think, especially if you feel like you're trying and it's really frustrating to feel like, okay, it's normal to feel that and to have compassion for that too, I think is really important. I like that. Compassion for yourself. It's yeah. not, not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say have compassion for the child. I was like, That oh. too, that too. But I, yeah. think that's, I think we often forget about the self-compassion part. I think you're right. And I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Let's go back to difficult conversations now, whether it be a, a traumatic event or something that you have to talk with your child or um, <laughs> some children are getting close to the puberty age to where you have to have other conversations. And, you know, sometimes they'll come out of left field, so to speak, with a question. And it's like, I try really hard not to non-verbally communicate with them that I'm shocked at their answer or that that's <laughs> a, a put off question. And I go back to what you said earlier in the episode about not trying to hide things from them. I try to be very open and honest with them, but then I'm also like, but you're still a kid. So yeah. what advice do you have on having those kind of difficult conversations? Asking for a friend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think that's great. I think the fact that you're reflecting on your own, you know, sense of shockness and kind of how that's communicated is really important and is something I actually would really advocate for too, just as a start. I think just to notice the fact of like, oh, wow, I'm having a reaction to this, you know, and, and this is maybe going to impact the way I respond. I think that's a really important thing because sometimes we, we feel that reaction and we might pull back or we might react in a way out of embarrassment. And mm -hmm. our child interprets that maybe as like, oh, a sense of shame or a sense of like, oh, that was a bad thing to ask or, oh, you know. And so just to recognize that. And sometimes I even emphasize even verbalizing that like, wow, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I didn't know that you knew about those things or, you know, I'm kind of surprised to hear that, but you know, yeah, let's, let's talk about it, you know, but so just to let your child know that if they see that expression on your face or something, you know, it's just because maybe there is some surprise there. Maybe you weren't prepared for that. And that's okay, you know, and to let your child know, like, 
yeah, sure. It's, it's okay to have conversations that are maybe a little bit out of my comfort zone or maybe, you know, something that, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't talk about these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, like this is a little harder to talk about, but I really do want to talk about it with you. Um, so to kind of let them in a little bit on your emotional journey there, um, not necessarily like a whole long thing, but, <laughs> but just to, you know, just to say like, this is, this is totally fine. But just to let you know, like, this is something that's new for me. So, you know, so bear with me or like to, you know, kind of like, you know, to be a little bit um, open honest? and kind of honest yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah I think I it's great. It. Yeah. So, Rebecca, as a parent, we get lots of advice, right? From professionals, from non-professionals, from family members, <laughs> friends, like everything. Yeah. Yes. Unwanted, unsolicited advice. advice. Yes. It's always <laughs> out there. But what is the best piece of parenting advice you've ever received? Oh, on the spot. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's really great. <laughs> and cite your sources. Um, yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> um, I think this is, may sound odd on a parenting mental health show, but I do think um, the advice that the most important thing is to learn how to apologize. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. Uh, that's because, really good. Um, because I think uh, modeling apologies and even helping your child learn how to apologize starts with you apologizing when, especially when you notice yourself making mistakes. And so I yep. think the advice that like, you are going to make mistakes, like that's not, that's not a question. It will definitely happen. And when your child is able to see you making the mistake and then apologizing and kind of learning how to do it better or differently the next time, that's a really powerful lesson for them. And it's actually a good kind of human lesson for you as well. And I've mentioned in a, a past episode, my relationship with my son changed the first time I apologized to him. Hmm. I mean, I, I physically saw it change. And then from there on out, it was like, he started being more open and I was like, so yeah, I agree. That's All right. Crazy. Take your drama. me now I'm going to flip it around. Okay. What's, <laughs> what's the worst piece of parenting advice you've ever received? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard. I feel like that's really funny because um, I, I was going to ask, like talking about pre- like advice, even starting when pregnancy, like I've had, you know, people oh, yeah. tell me like, you shouldn't eat avocado, you know, when you're pregnant or just like the most random things. Um, but I do think um, as a parent, that's really hard. I guess um, <laughs> I would say that you should just to go on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think the I think the advice is basically the hovering of like, why didn't you go? Why didn't you go do that for them? Why don't you go manage that for oh. them? Why don't you go and like micromanaging? I think for me, like that's been the worst type of parenting advice, and it doesn't sound terrible. I think that's what's what's funny about it is that it seems like oh, that's great. Like go in and like manage that conflict. Go in and like step right in and help them do that. Help them do everything. Um, and I realized. It's actually funny because my daughter has said so much like, oh, I actually really think it's valuable. Like when I get in an argument or a discussion with friends, like I need to try to figure out how Mm -hmm. to resolve that. Like I don't want someone to come in and tell me like this is, you know, you need to be friends. You stop talking, go away, you know, that kind of thing. So I actually think the micromanaging, it's sort of well-intentioned, but it's actually kind of sneakily bad advice. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great, and kudos for pulling that out on the spot like that. That's, yeah, that was impressive because I'm still. <laughs> that was a hard one. I was like, the avocado is pretty bad, but that's when it's not parenting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't eat avocado because I don't like the texture. Yeah, that's that was, that was strange. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm and I've never been pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so we haven't talked a whole lot about other adults. We've talked a lot about parenting, but what about teachers, coaches, uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents of ways to communicate with a child? Yeah, can they use these tips as well? Definitely. Yes. I really designed this book and I designed this approach to have 
the audience of anyone who interacts with kids. So even if you're, you know, an aunt, an uncle, a foster parent, a teacher, a counselor, these are really universal communication skills. And actually a lot of people have, who've read the book have come to me and said, well, you could actually use these with adults as well. Um, and so I was like, oh, that's actually true. <laughs> yes, you probably could. Um, and so I do think that this is a really important time to have these conversations and that really you don't have to be a parent or even a caregiver of a child to have them. Yeah, COVID was was rough on the emotional side of things. And mm. so I'm, I'm thinking like developmentally too, there's just so much that has happened in the last few years that I think any any ideas we can give people to to help kids get through kind of this this chunk of time that's been so challenging would be would be great. In what ways do you think um, these this approach your the tools that you provide, you know, could help these kids post pandemic? What's been really hard and upsetting is that so many kids are coming back to school with a lot of grief, with a lot of trauma. The same for teachers. Obviously, there's a huge teacher shortage. There's an even worse counselor shortage, um, psychologist shortage. Um, so a lot of the burden is falling on teachers to say, well, how can we actually support kids with this? Um, and so I think that especially if we think of these kind of tools as something you can use in a whole classroom, something you can use with groups of kids at home, with siblings and so on, you can start to kind of move kids um, towards helping them heal, helping them bond again, helping them build those kind of social emotional skills. Because a lot of kids, I know my own son, you know, had a lot of trouble learning how to make friends again when they haven't wow. even seen each other. You know, yeah. he had, he'd actually, age five, he had never really remembered having a play date um, because he was, you know, almost like three when this started. So even getting back wow. to saying, well, how do we how do we do this? You know, how do, who calls who, like, how are, how are the parents working this out? Um, everything from that to how do I socialize with a new person? I mean, a lot of these conversations are things we might need to have a little bit more explicitly than we might've had before. I remember one of the saddest things I saw during this was my daughter was in first grade at the time that the pandemic hit and her little best friend who lives in an, in our neighborhood sort of, um, at the time was a very huggy child. And so we took a walk and, and went by her house and we texted and said, Hey, we're outside. And the little girl comes running out full speed out of her front door and gets midway to her yard and just stopped and stared. Like she didn't, she didn't know what to do. Granted they were seven, oh, but yeah, it was like, yeah. it was so yeah. sad and heartbreaking to see Like they don't know how to, to talk or, you know, you, you couldn't touch exactly. back then and certainly yeah, couldn't hug, yeah. but it was just, it was, it was very heartbreaking. So, it's, so hard. it's been a rough couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's just so much language. Like I've noticed kids that I've worked with and even my own kids, there's so much language around danger and risk. I mean, even for a while, I was like, my kids would say, well, can we go to the grocery store? You know, is it too risky? Can we go? Mm -hmm. uh, you know? And so I think that kind of thing is something we've never really seen of kids growing up feeling like, oh, it's scary, you know, to be in the mm -hmm. store or scary to go see a friend or something like that. So yeah. yeah it's really It'll be hard. interesting to talk to them in 10, 15, 20 years when this exactly. is in the past about like, mm -hmm. Remember your childhood when we had those yeah, two, three, yeah. four years of, ugh. What do you think is one or two takeaways for parents from this episode that you want to make sure and get across? Yeah. So I think um, one thing is just the power of reflective listening. So it's actually just taking the time to sit with your child, to listen as they open up, and to really just validate what they're experiencing. So for example, if they're saying to you, oh, I'm sad because X and Y thing happened, just to sit with them and to validate and to be with that emotion to help them explore it um, rather than saying, oh, you shouldn't feel that or, oh, we don't feel that or, you know, I don't think you should feel that or whatever, um, to really recognize that those are valid expressions and that, yes, we don't want to 
you know, we can't do everything we want to do, but we can feel whatever we want to feel. And so I think having these conversations with that basis, the fact that like, we're all allowed to feel what we feel, and that we might feel different things about the same event or the same situation. Uh, I think that's a really powerful one. Rebecca, is there anything else you'd like to add? I guess one thing I would say is that if you are thinking about doing this kind of conversation, really, you can start very small. So a lot of times people are like, well, how would I get started? And I really suggested just try like five minutes or 10 minutes, try to have one of these kind of conversations, try to do something a little different, try to shake things up a little bit. And actually, I found that so many families have told me that their kids like it, and then they jumpstart it themselves. So it's actually not something where you have to keep asking questions or keep whatever kids actually take it and run with it usually. So uh, I think that's, that's one fun thing that I found. So Rebecca, tell us where we can find your book. What is it called again? And where can we find it? Definitely. So it's called the art of talking with children out from HarperCollins. And you can find it obviously on the HarperCollins website or through Amazon or usually at many uh, major bookstores. Um, you can also find me on my website. So it's just www.rebeccaroland.com and two C's and Rebecca and two L's in Roland. And I also have a newsletter there where I um, update it with strategies, tips, tools, and things like that. Um, so happy if you're interested in that as well. Very nice. Well, we thank you so much, Dr. Rebecca Rowland, for your time and your insight. And now I'm anxious to go get a copy of the book so uh, I can get as excited as Nikki has been. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Our pleasure. And we thank you for listening. As always, uh, we ask you to share this with a friend, family member, a complete stranger if you want, if you think <laughs> someone can benefit from the information you see here. Um, we're online at scrambledpodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook as well. Our goal with starting this podcast was to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you.